Would you open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. We're going to be looking at four truths about the kingdom of God today. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit understand what the Spirit is saying through the Word. Help us to apply your Word to our lives. Lord, I pray that that you would help me as the preacher to communicate effectively and that by your Spirit you would impress this Word upon our hearts and change us for the honor of our King Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've been looking at what Jesus says about prayer 
about money and possessions, and we're going to be looking next week, beginning what Jesus says about how we are to interact and care for the least of these among us. Today, we're going to look at four truths about the kingdom of God that Jesus is communicating to his disciples and us through his word. The purpose of this parable is to reveal truth about the kingdom of God. You see, the disciples and those who were gathered around when Zacchaeus came to saving faith in Jesus and his life was changed right before their eyes. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. These words are ringing in their ears. And Luke tells us that as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem. Remember, he's been journeying towards Jerusalem. He fixed his face like flint towards Jerusalem, where he would be crucified and offered offering himself as a sacrifice in the place of sinners, bearing the wrath of God, setting sinners free through his life and death and his resurrection on the third day. He's moving towards Jerusalem, but remember, he's not staying in Jericho. He's passing through. So he tells them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he's, he's wanting to equip the disciples. He's wanting to clarify misunderstandings about the kingdom. He's wanting to encourage his faithful followers. And he's wanting to warn those who would call themselves followers and yet not obey him and not live under his rule, his kingship. The first thing I want us to notice is that the kingdom of God is an already but not yet reality. And we talk about this a lot, already but not yet. And that's what we see throughout the scriptures. And we see right here that Jesus is teaching them that the kingdom of God is an already but not yet reality. And it's in response where it says, they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he, t he tells them a parable to clarify, to equip, to encourage, and to warn all at the same time. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a faraway country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. He gave them ten minas to ten disciples, so one mina each. And a mina was about three months' wages for a regular worker. And he tells them to engage in business until he comes. 
The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. He starts with the not yet. It's, it's not yet. You see, it comes in full with the future return of the king. It doesn't come in full now. It doesn't come in full with his first advent, his first coming. It comes in full later. So it's a correction of the understanding that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He's telling him it's not coming in full right now. Not the way you think. The consummation of the kingdom is at the second advent, the return of Jesus. So he says, a nobleman went into a far away country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. So it's not yet, but it is already. So verse 13 communicates that it's already. See, it's here already with the coming of Jesus and it has real and present responsibilities. There are responsibilities of faithful stewardship in the kingdom of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, it is required among stewards that a man be found faithful. And that's what Jesus is talking about, is that the kingdom has present and real responsibilities right now for his followers. We must be found faithful in our stewardship of what he's entrusted to us. Engage in business until I come. See, the inauguration of the kingdom is at the first advent. It's, it's come, but it's not come in full. The consummation of the kingdom is at the second advent. It's coming, and it will come in full one day. Already, but not yet. Number two. The kingdom of God faces present and active opposition. Verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now most scholars think that Jesus is referring back to and using a historical event as a part of this story that they would know very well. The, the Jewish listeners would understand what he's saying because there was something that happened just like this. In fact, with the death of Herod the Great in 4 BC, his son Archelaus went to Rome to receive the kingdom. You see, he traveled to a faraway country, to Rome, to appear before Caesar to receive the kingdom in place of his father. And the Jews sent a delegation to Rome to protest before Caesar saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. He's brutal. In fact, the account was that he had slaughtered 3,000 people and the Jews were saying, we don't want him to reign over us. Josephus, the Jewish historian, records this and gives detailed account in book 17, chapter 11 of the antiquities of the Jews. 
So they would have known an occasion like this. It would have been common for someone to go to a faraway place to receive a kingdom and then come back and reign. Well, Archelaus didn't receive the full kingdom. He received it in part as it was divided and he became the tetrarch of Judea. You see, there are outspoken opponents of the one who is to receive the kingdom. And in this parable, Jesus calls them enemies. Verse 27 says, But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's how the parable ends. The kingdom of God faces present and active opposition. There are those who will actively oppose the person of the king, the one who is to receive the kingdom. Number three, the kingdom of God includes a future day of accounting, a day of reckoning, calling everyone to account. Verses 15 to 27, in verse 15 he says, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. It's a day of accounting. There's really three things that he shows us in this day of accounting. Number one, the commendation of the faithful. Speaking good words over the faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. The commendation. There's encouragement and blessing. Verses 15 to 19. Verse 16, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina. Now this is important. They recognize him as master. Lord, your mina. He owns it all. It's not theirs. They're just stewards. They were entrusted with his money that they were to engage in business for him on behalf of him. Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. So there's rewards, there's blessings, there's public thanks, a commendation for the faithful. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Notice that they were both commended for faithfulness. They were both encouraged and given rewards and blessings for their faithfulness. Success is not in the result, but in the faithfulness. And in this parable, the, the master commends the faithful servants who have been faithful with his possessions. But secondly, there's condemnation of the fraudulent. There's commendation of the faithful, but next, co condemnation of the fraudulent. Look at verses 20 to 26. 
Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina. Now, he says, Lord, and he said, here's your mina. He acknowledges with his mouth that he's a steward, that he doesn't own it. It's the master's. Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Notice that that's a question. Did you know? saying, by your observation, you understood me to be a severe man. Is that right? Did you understand correctly? The implication is no. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. <laughs> They're saying, that's not fair. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In verse 21, he says, for I was afraid of you. John MacArthur says, that this word for fear, I feared you, is a craven fear not born out of love or reverence for the master. Had he had any true regard for the master, a righteous fear would have provoked diligence rather than sloth. And he says, I was afraid of you because you were a, a severe man. Now, the word severe here is where we get the word austere. It's the Greek word austeros. And it means severe or harsh or hard. And its synonym is used in Matthew 25, 24 in a similar parable, not the exact same, but a similar parable. And MacArthur comments again on that word in Matthew 25, 24, where he says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. He says this, this characterization of the master maligns him as a cruel and ruthless opportunist, reaping and gathering what he had no right to claim as his own. This slothful servant does not represent a genuine believer because it is obvious that this man does not know the master well. At the end of the parable in Matthew 25, Jesus ends with these words in verse 30, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Which is consistent with this parable as well. I condemn you with your own words, you're a wicked, you wicked servant. He doesn't know the master. He doesn't 
fear the master with reverence, he despises the master. He calls him master with his words. He acknowledges that it's the master's possessions. So he says it with his mouth, but he doesn't obey the master. He doesn't live it out with his life. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Condemnation of the fraudulent. They said, Lord, they called him master, and yet they were fakes. They didn't obey the master. They didn't love the master. And then finally, condemnation of the foes. So there's condemnation of the fraudulent and also condemnation of the foes. Verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. He calls them enemies because they did not want the king to reign over them, over him, excuse me, over them. See, outwardly with their words, they present themselves to be enemies of the king. Remember, the other group that's condemned, outwardly with their words, they present themselves as servants of the king. But this group presents themselves as enemies of the king. We don't want you to reign over us. I want you to note that the unfaithful servants are just as much enemies of the king in their hearts. Their actions reveal that they don't want the king to reign over them. See, I'll say king, Lord, with my lips, but my actions reveal what my heart truly believes. They don't say it out loud, but it's in their heart. You see, there's two types of people in reality. Those who want to be under the reign of the king and those who don't want to be under the reign of the king. Now, we know that all of us don't want to be under the reign of the king, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were enemies of God. We were hostile. We did not want to obey. But something changed, and we talked about that last week, that grace does something. Grace changes everything. And it makes sinners who don't want to obey the king, they don't want to live under the reign of the king. Grace makes sinners who don't want to all of a sudden want to. Jesus, I want you to reign over me. Why didn't I see this before? You are a good king. You're the only king. Come and reign over me. And there's a surrender to the kingship of Jesus. 
But then there are others who don't want Jesus to reign over them, and some express it as they call him Lord, and they sit in the pews every Sunday in church, but they don't obey him. They don't love him. And in the end, he will say, I never knew you. It doesn't matter about all your mighty works, your good deeds. You never surrendered to the king. See, grace changes everything. But really, there's two kinds of people. They want to be under the reign of the king. True believers, authentic, genuine believers who want Jesus to reign over us. And the fraudulent who call themselves followers of Christ, they don't want Jesus to reign over them. But also the foes, the ones who outwardly say, we don't want you to reign over us. And both the fraudulent and the foes are condemned in the end. In fact, this passage is very similar to the shepherd separating the sheep from the goats in Matthew 25. See, this parable is about Jesus. <laughs> it's about Jesus and people's response to him. Some gladly follow him and submit to him and rejoice and rejoice. And we just saw what happened with Zacchaeus. And this is coming right on the heels of Zacchaeus. Remember, the words are ringing in their ears, and so he's correcting their misunderstandings. There are some who gladly surrender to the kingship of Jesus by the grace of God. And there are others who call themselves servants of the king who don't. And it's revealed by their stewardship. Now, we've been talking a lot about money and possessions, but this is one of those passages where it can be broadly applied to time, talent, treasure, all of that. Because really, you know, what Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everything that we pour ourselves out in, invest our time in, our money in, all of those things, that reveals where our heart is. And if we don't want to serve the king out of gladness and joyfulness and recognizing his kingship over us, and we, and we say, no, I hid it away. I, I, we, we try to justify ourselves and blame it on him. That's an indication that we don't know the master because he's a good king, a good king. So we've seen, first of all, that the kingdom of God is an already but not yet reality. The kingdom of God has present and active opposition. The kingdom of God includes a future day of accounting where the faithful will be commended for their faithful stewardship and the fraudulent will be condemned their fraud will be exposed and the foes will be condemned as well but I want us to notice finally that the kingdom's king is Jesus 
That's what this parable is about. Jesus is the one who would go to a far away place to receive for himself a kingdom. He goes to Jerusalem and is crucified on a cruel Roman cross and is buried in a tomb and three days later is raised again from the dead and 40 days he appears to his disciples teaching about the kingdom of God and then he ascends to the right hand, the place of honor, to the throne and receives a kingdom. And one day he's coming back, the return of Jesus, and there will be a day of reckoning for everyone, for those who are outward foes of the king and for those who are outwardly servants of the king but inwardly foes, and for the faithful followers of Jesus, there will be rewards and blessings and there will be condemnation for the enemies. See, Jesus is the one who would go to a faraway place to receive the kingdom, and Jesus is the one who would return and call everyone to account. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And that's what he's teaching in this parable. I want to bring this to a close and help with some application. The true servants the true sons and daughters of the kingdom are evidenced by their glad-hearted, willing, and faithful stewardship of all that has been entrusted to them by the king. And what that means is their time, their talent, their treasure, their jobs, their homes, their families, their parenting, their teaching, their witness, their spiritual gifts, their opportunities, everything is to be stewarded. Moreover, it is required among stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithfulness, that's what's required for all the people who follow Jesus. Stewarding what is his. We have nothing that has not been given to us. It's his. For from him and through him and to him are all things. And it's to be given to him as an act of worship. And faithful stewardship is an act of worship. You see, these are the ones demonstrating faithful stewardship that have recognized Jesus as Lord and surrendered to him as Lord. They don't just say it with their mouth. but they live it with their lives. They acknowledge him as king and master over every area of their lives. Now, let me say this. You might be sitting here saying, I love Jesus, and I want to obey him in everything in my life, and there are things right now that I'm thinking about that come to mind that I'm holding back. Andrew mentioned it in the prayer of confession, that I'm I've got closet, closets and crevices and things that I've tucked away that I don't want Jesus to reign over. Well, that's part of the indwelling sin that we're warring with. But today, by the Spirit and through this Word, you might say, but I want Jesus to reign over it. So I want to surrender it today. And you might be thinking of 
something, your time, your, the way that you're stewarding your, your gifts, your, your service, your, your job, the opportunities that you know you had and you walked right by, and you say, I want to be faithful in stewarding those opportunities. And right now you're saying, I want Jesus to reign over me in every area of my life. And so you surrender. And maybe today is a day of surrendering all of those things today as the Spirit shows you what that is. So do that. Surrender. Obey in every area of your life. And there's blessing and freedom and grace upon grace. But maybe you're sitting here going, you know what? I've called myself a Christian for years and years. Everybody thinks I'm a Christian. I'm serving the church. I've been serving in leadership in the church. All of these things all of my life. But I know in my heart that I don't want Jesus to reign over me. And I'm a fake. And I know that on that day when Jesus calls me to account, I'm going to be exposed. And maybe today, by the grace of the Lord, the Lord would open your heart right now and you would see, you would see your fraudulence. That you're living a life that is not true. And maybe today you would see that you need Jesus to wash away all your sins, to reconcile you to God. You need Jesus to reign over you. And if you are sensing that you need Jesus to reign over you, and all of a sudden you want Jesus to reign over you, that is the sovereign grace of God at work in your life right now. So repent of your sins and turn to Jesus and live under his kingship for his glory forever. And maybe you're here today and you're like those people who say, I don't want him to reign over us. I don't want him to reign over me. I don't like what I think about him, but I'm here because maybe somebody invited me and I really don't care and I'm indifferent and I'm outwardly with my words. I'm not a believer and I don't want to be a believer. And I would just say to you, if that's anybody here today, Jesus is a good king. He's a good shepherd and he laid his life down for his sheep. He died and rose again to reconcile sinners like all of us to a good God. So I would plead with you, if that's you, would you please Repent and turn to Jesus. You will perish if you do not. There is time. You are breathing right now. There's time. Repent and believe the gospel and be saved. Let's pray. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would have your way among us. Lord, pour out your grace in this congregation and do that which only you can do. Change us. May we surrender more and more and more. May we love you more and more. May we be faithful stewards more and more. Lord, we want to live under your kingship. We want you to reign over us. Thank you, Jesus, for being our king. And for those who who are lost, 
who are separated from God, who need to run into the arms of Jesus. God, would you do that? Because we know that we cannot do that in and of ourselves. We are dead. Only you can raise the dead. God, would you do that? Would you raise the dead today? Would you cause the blind to see and the deaf to hear? And all of a sudden, that they would want Jesus to reign over them forever. God, would you do that work among us, and we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.